0: Check out my new book, Reach All Readers, at reachallreaders.com. When you pre-order, you'll get special access to my Science of Reading mini-course. Learn more at reachallreaders.com. I recently had the privilege of doing an interview with Dr. Wendy Ferrone. She has been in education for 30 years and is just a wealth of information about what it means to teach reading right. I found Wendy when I watched a webinar about dyslexia that she gave for Voyager Sopris, and I was struck by how clear and concise she is, as well as her honesty about how she came to structure literacy from balanced literacy. So I'm sure you're going to get a lot out of today's episode, and we'll get started right after the intro.
1: Welcome to Triple R Teaching, where we encourage you to think differently about education by helping you reflect... Refine and recharge. This isn't just about trying something new as you educate those entrusted to your care. We'll equip you with simple strategies and practical tips that will fill your toolbox and reignite your passion for teaching. It's time to reflect, refine, and recharge with your host, Anna Geiger.
0: Hello, everyone. Today in our Balanced to Structured Literacy series, we're excited to welcome Dr. Wendy Ferrone. She has been in education for 30 years, including 12 years as a classroom teacher in various grades. She was a Title I reading specialist, an education consultant, and a national letters trainer, and she also has a PhD in reading. Welcome, Wendy.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to talk about this topic.
0: Yes, I found Wendy because I was watching a webinar. I can't remember which one. I think it may have been about dyslexia. And I was just struck by how clear and helpful her instruction was, as well as her acknowledgement that that wasn't always how she approached reading. So can you tell us a little bit about your history with balanced literacy?
1: I sure can. I started um, in education as an adult learner, so I was about 25, which is back in the day was really kind of late to the party, right? Um, When I got my first job, I taught first grade, and it was all literature-based, and students would come in in the morning, and they would walk around that little kidney-shaped table and pick up packets of handouts, and we would do what the book, the the curriculum, or the the text in this case, taught us to do, and that was read stories and point to things as we read them. There was really no structure. There was songs and such, but there was no direct instruction. There was really nothing explicit. Uh, So what I found was that the kids who got it got it, and the kids who didn't didn't and I uh, didn't didn't see that as a fault of mine or the curriculum. I saw it as something wrong with the child himself or herself and so that child of course was considered for maybe special education uh, referral because certainly there could be nothing wrong in my teaching or something wrong in the curriculum that the district had chosen well, reflecting back, I have quite a bit of regret about that yeah. uh, because I know better now. And of course, as educators, we have to remember that that we are not responsible for what we do not know, but we certainly are responsible once we do know in implementing those those good works, those good things. So I, I taught that way for many years. Uh, 12 years I was in the classroom and I watched it go from from um, configuration spelling, where you draw circles around, and I still see it, it makes me crazy, Um, rather than actually learning spelling patterns. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then it went into uh, more balanced literacy, and what I find very interesting is that the use of the term balanced literacy, who doesn't want balance in their life, mm-hmm. right? We mm-hmm. don't want extremes one way or the other. The middle ground is just a perfect place to be. So that was a great way to tag people into thinking about this is the right thing to do. Well, in 2000, the year 2000, the National Reading Panel came out and they, they had uh, checked out a ton of studies, and they weeded out those ones that were good studies and methodology. And they found that there really wasn't all that much that was going into the field of education to teachers and into publications that go to teachers that really taught what the research said about teaching reading.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So therefore, what happened then is that students, teachers were taught um the teachers were taught by universities who didn't understand. And so balanced literacy was the path of least resistance. It was wonderful. It was fun. It was a hoot. We told stories. Kids sang songs, and we loved it. It's just, unfortunately, those who couldn't read didn't learn to read. Mm-hmm. And so that, that turned into um, flooding the special education field, yes. right? And Title I, and everybody needs a reading specialist. And we kept pointing the finger at the child, And um, that frustrated me like crazy. Mm -hmm. And so I thought there has to be a better way to do this. The National Reading Panel, like I said, in 2000 came out and I was intrigued. I kept thinking there is a better way. So I decided I had my bachelor's in elementary ed, my master's in reading, a reading specialist state um, through the state and a national certification. And I thought, well, maybe the answer lies in the doctoral level. Maybe that's where it is. And I went all the way through a PhD in reading, and I realized that it's not there either. Well, a whole lot of money spent later, and I was really no better off than I was in teaching a kid how to read. Yeah. Completely frustrating. Where do you go once you've got a doctorate? I mean, yeah. isn't that the top of the ladder? Well, part of the work that I was doing was working for a Department of Ed in the Bureau of Special Education. And I was a, a training and technical assistance consultant. And as part of that work, my director brought in letters training, which is language for Teachers of Reading and Spelling, Language Essentials for Teachers of Reading and Spelling, which is ironically spelled Mm -hmm. (laughs) L-E-T-R-S, right? And and now it is nationally and internationally known as the gold star level learning experience for teachers in the science of reading. Mm -hmm. And I was given the gift of becoming certified as a a trainer of letters. Life-changing, life-changing because now I know why kids struggle as a reader and I have enough knowledge around spelling systems, writing systems, decoding and all of those phonology systems that I can truly teach a child how to read on the back of a napkin.
0: Well, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. So you became, you gained your understanding of the science of reading, was that when you were an educational consultant? That's correct. So you, That's correct. So you had to bring this information into schools I did. Where teachers weren't always on board. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Oh,
1: my. There's so many great stories around that. Most of it, you know, reflecting back, I think about nobody likes to be told that what they are doing is not the right way of doing it. Mm -hmm. There's a resistance there. So as a consultant, you have to really be careful. When I would approach a resistant group group, who have the yeah, buts, Mm -hmm. you know, that sounds good, Wendy. Yeah. But in my district. Mm -hmm. So what I would have to do in my trainings and my, my assistants work was to convince them that this isn't working for them. And that what's happening now, they have a a 50% uh, proficiency rate. Something's not wrong. It's not like, or something is wrong. It's not like they unloaded a bus in the front of the school and said, all kids who can't read, get in there. Mom and dad are sending the student with the understanding that these are professional educators, and they, even though it's tough and even though things get in the way, the variables are crazy, we can do this anyway. In spite of those, we can teach kids how to read. Kids with with learning disabilities and physical and cognitive disabilities, we can teach them to read it anyway. That's the beautiful thing. Once you empower a teacher to recognize that maybe there is a better way. Are they willing to investigate? Then they catch the bug and off it goes. Um, I've had many, many, many teachers say to me, why didn't anybody teach me this before? Yes.
0: Yeah, I hear that a lot. How do I not know this? What do you feel has been kind of the most impactful knowledge that you shared with these teachers that really set off the light bulb?
1: Teaching them how the, the spelling system works. That there is a reason why there's an E at the end of cheese or house. It's not just there because they had a box of E sitting around. It's there to keep it from looking plural. Mm-hmm. Because any word in the English language that ends in a single E means more than one or right now. Like walks means that we're walking right now. When it ends with an right? S.
0: Yeah, when it ends with an S.
1: Yeah, but it ends in a single S. So the E is there to signify. We don't mean more than one chi mm-hmm. or more than one how. It's it's an indicator. So those types of nuances of the spelling system allow teachers to teach decoding better mm-hmm. and to teach writing better and to recognize error in student patterns in spelling and writing because they, oops, that indicates to me they don't understand that um, a di- what a digraph is, or how to blend the b- little sound together, that's what they're missing. Mm-hmm. So it pinpoints us, engages us directly with what the issue is, instead of saying some broad term like, he's below, so he gets title.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Why is he below? That's what I want to know. And and when I was in teaching in balanced literacy and those types of things, it was really kind of hoping. Well, it sounds like he's reading kind of slow. And when I did a running record, this showed up. Mm-hmm. And are you sure? Are you positive? Would you would you stand in front of an attorney and fight that argument? Yeah. I've had to do that. And when the time came, I thought, I no, I cannot. But now, put me in front of an attorney, and I'll eat his lunch because I know how to teach reading and I know the spelling system. And my passion is that every single teacher should know as much as I know about teaching reading. They have that, they should have that opportunity to know that much and have that much confidence.
0: Well, am I correct that one of your passion projects is, is teaching about how to help kids with dyslexia?
1: Well, that's true. Um, a lot of times, though, dyslexia is this term that they just give to a child, um, because they haven't been taught well. Mm-hmm. And I caution folks about about that. It's become a buzzword. And that's a problem. If a child is not able to read, there's a reason why. Mm-hmm. And I don't care if they're dyslexic or not. We have to do our best to teach them how to read. That's how the world works, is being literate. Mm -hmm. That's your key to to a good income. It's your key to a strong um, outlook on life. All of those things are based on your ability to communicate through print, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So rather, very rarely do you have a child who is so severely dyslexic that they are not able to interact with print, Mm -hmm. very rarely. But sometimes people jump right to that conclusion. Oh, he has dyslexia, so we're going to put him over there and give him audio books. No, teach him how to read. Mm -hmm. Put a social studies book on audio until you teach him how to read. Mm -hmm. We want him to to learn how to read. That's the
0: goal. So for somebody who maybe can't be letters trained at this time but really wants to Mm -hmm. learn the things that you're talking about, do you have some special mm-hmm. recommendations for them?
1: I do. There's all kinds of books out there now. the The Reading League mm-hmm. um, um, has a ton of resources. The um, Middle States, with under Tim Odegaard, Middle State. I'm going to say this wrong. Middle. Tennessee Middle States, <laughs> Tennessee University. Okay. Google Tim Odegaard. and and he has a dyslexia center oh. and has a ton of resources there for students with dyslexia. Um, I would cons- I would offer that you look at the um, the dyslexia site. The International Reading Association is not the dyslexia site, right, by the way. Right. <laughs> okay. We want to make that very clear because one is very embedded in science and one is still has a foot on the dock of balanced literacy in the three queuing system and we don't want to go there um, because there's just a ton of research in opposition of that approach Mm -hmm. so we want we want to make sure that the dyslexia association is where we're looking and a reminder for folks though is that just because it says the dyslexia association doesn't mean it's not good for everybody right Right, so there's a ton of resources there. There's also um, the Reading League really has a a strong collection of linked resources. Yes, they're now with chapters all across the nation, state chapters. They have just done an incredible job. Um, colleagues of mine are engaged in that, uh, the founding of that, and what that has allowed them to do is to get a foothold, getting the research into classrooms and districts and state law rather than just screaming parents or screaming teachers. It's about the research.
0: Yeah. And I can speak to all that. I have been a, a member of the International Reading Association for many years, mainly so I can get a hand on their journals, but it, uh-huh. it is hard. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to someone who's just trying to learn because you can have an author by someone, you can have an article by someone like Nell Duke or Timothy Shanahan, but then you can also have some articles mm-hmm. in the same issue that are yep. very strongly balanced literacy, but I, yeah. I get the reading league journal and I love it. I love that. I get a print copy so I can write in uh-huh. it. And I really trust uh-huh. that group. And also they have just, if you ever watch a webinar with the reading league, they have just such a gentle mm-hmm. kind way of communicating all of this. And yeah, they're amazing. Um,
1: they surely are. My office where I used to work at, at um, Patton, Pennsylvania Training and Technical Assistance Network, we worked very, very closely. And two of my colleagues um, are part of the Reading League, um, that, that group that brought it to Pennsylvania. So Pennsylvania, if you look at the, it's patta net. Oh, yes. If you look on their ton of researches yeah. as well. They've got very strong Facebook uh, presence. And there's a, we, because it's a state
0: um, initiative, it's free. I've seen a lot of good stuff the from them, and I didn't know that was from Pennsylvania. That's cool. It is, yes. So if you, you know, looking back at your experience as a balanced literacy versus, you know, I don't know if you call yourself structural literacy, but from that shift, what would you say are some mm-hmm. things that you would recommend letting go of and things that you would take, you know, add in its place?
1: Sure. The, the thing that, that is a concern for me is the pick-and-choose method that teachers use. If you walk into a situation where you think you have the background very strongly, you've done it for years, and you th- and the curriculum is good, but you know this kid better, I'm doing air quotes, mm-hmm. you know this kid enough to make a decision. My question is, show me the evidence that that's true.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Show me the evidence. I appreciate that you've been in this a long time. But if, just like me, I didn't, I've been in education for a long time. It never struck me until I had letters training that some of the things I was doing was less effective or even misguided. Mm-hmm. and all of that was balanced literacy, uh, the literature approach, the pick and choose approach. all oh, he has short vowel issues. so we're gonna play three games in a in a small group on short vowels and differentiating. What letters taught me is how the vowels are formed in the mouth. Mm-hmm feel of the sounds in the mouth and that makes the difference why is a kid struggle with short vowels well because they're so closely made in the mouth it's hard to differentiate those sounds when you understand that you approach things differently instructionally and what may have taken six weeks to get a child to understand now you can take care of in a week Mm -hmm. we don't have time to waste six weeks determining well that didn't work
0: now what mm-hmm. and something too about like when I was a balanced literacy teacher you know I certainly I wouldn't I was very offended if someone told me that I wasn't teaching phonics or that I didn't believe in phonics because I did teach phonics but like you said it was it was pick and choose hit or miss I didn't follow a scope and sequence that made sure I taught everything explicitly and systematically and when you do that you save a lot of you really save time because you don't have to figure out where the hole is you're you're moving in a that's right in a logical order
1: When you have a series of um, protocols, we call them if-then charts, right? If a child is is having trouble acquiring um, phonics skills, the advanced ones, not the basic ones, but the advanced ones, we need to stop and say why. It's not that I need to say it louder to the child. I don't need to shame them into learning it. And I don't have to make the parents teach it to them. What I have to do is see what's in the way, of them learning that specific skill. And so I, I have a protocol that says, if that's an issue, then go look here. Are the basic phonics in place? If they aren't, or if they, they aren't, then you work on that. If they are okay, then you look at phonology, the sounds of the English language, what's going on there. So you see, I have a way of working through that if-then idea to get right back to the root cause of the problem. Mm-hmm. And then I can work on it. Through balanced literacy, what I found was, you and I taught it as well as we've discussed, you just keep moving them forward. And the stories just get longer and more difficult. And the child melts down. And you say, now he's a behavior problem. Mm-hmm. Is he really? Or is he struggling from what? I call dystodia. <laughs> You've also heard it as dystopia, I'm sure. Dystodia, which means ain't been taught appropriately. Yeah. And it's not on the teacher per se. Per se. It's that the protocol is not in place to determine what skills are deficit. Mm-hmm. So we just keep shoving them further and shoving them further. Now when I teach adults who have literacy problem. I follow the exact same if then chart. Because it doesn't matter if you're in fifth grade or you're in high school or you're fifty, the skills to teach to learn to read are exactly the same. Nobody changes the alphabet when your body gets bigger. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. The spelling system remains. So what I see in IEPs in upper middle school and high school is they create a goal for comprehension. They create a goal for homework completion. Well, how in the world do you expect a person, no matter how big their body is, right, to understand the spelling system just because their body grew? That's not how that works. And comprehension errors or inability to comprehend and a ton of behavior problems are caused because I don't feel competent. And the louder we scream as educators and put grades on the heads of children and say, you're not comprehending, you must have a disability, instead of using that if-then chart and finding out why they aren't comprehending. So I may do an oral reading fluency. I may have a parap- they paraphrase back to me what they've just read. If If, then, if that is low, then, I'm going to check on advanced phonics. If that is low, or there's a bunch of errors there, then I'm gonna check basic phonics. If that has holes, you see I'm filling the holes all the way along. If that is low, then I'm going to check spelling, I'm gonna do a writing sample, and I'm going to check phonology. With all of that evidence and the knowledge that I have that I'm bringing to the table, that allows me to make a good decision about instruction for that student or that 50 year old person who I'm helping who struggled all their life acquiring reading. What's intriguing though is that when I have that student who is 50 years old, who is struggling and embarrassed, lived a life of embarrassment, looks at me and says, Why didn't anybody ever teach me this? Yeah. My whole life I thought I was dumb. Now
2: mm-hmm.
1: think about that the impact that has on a person's life choices. Mm-hmm. The student who is two, two, in second grade, a mother calls me crying and says, Wendy, they're going to put him in special ed. He's a smart kid. I don't understand. He can talk your leg off. We use big words in my house. He can put Legos together without a pattern. Why would he be in special ed? And I said, well, reading is a special thing. It's not, it's not a natural. It's acquired skill. Let's test him. And I walked through exactly those things that said, can he he spell? Can he write? Does he know advanced decoding? Does he know all those things that a child is supposed to know? His phonology was fine, meaning he can recognize the sounds in the language. He can say the word cat and bring them out to the sounds k, at. With that ability, you can now say, this letter stands for what sound represents what sound? C. Yes, in this word it does. Ah. What letter represents that sound? A. Okay, so we would do it that way. I did Elkonin boxes because this child was in second grade, and I told him how to separate those sounds, to put a box for each of those sounds. Now let's put the spelling pattern that goes in representing each of those sounds. And he looked at me like he was starstruck. And he said, are you kidding me? He said, Dr. Farron, if somebody would have taught me this, I wouldn't cry every night. I know. Life-changing for me, life-changing for his family. And now he sent me a picture of his spelling test or taped to the front door of his house because he wants everybody to know how you can be a good speller. Mm. That happens to teachers all the time, those breakthrough moments. And for teachers who are are less than, um, like working, not working really truly to the science of reading, you're missing that joy that comes when a kid says, are you kidding me? I get this now. Yeah. That's what teaching is about.
0: Oh, I could talk to you about this all day long. That is uh very exciting! I love those stories. I think maybe you, you shared that picture of his spelling list on the door in the workshop that I watched. <laughs> that was very cool. I I yeah, very good. Do you have um, online resources or anything that people can head to to get to learn more?
1: There are there are
0: many 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 too many. What you really
1: want to look for is not necessarily the resource, but the resource creator. Yes. Okay. So the one thing that's important is that you learn the names of the people that are trustworthy in our field,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? Mm-hmm. You have Mel Duke, and you have Dave Kilpatrick, and you have Mark Seidenberg. You have Louisa Motes. You have Carol Tolman. You look for those names because those folks are in alignment, highly in alignment with the research. So as not to um, demean anyone, I won't give you the names of, that, that, of, of those who are on the other side of the fence (laughs) but I would offer that you educate yourself as as a teacher in those resources where in the world do you get them well you find articles in the reading league Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. journal and you look for uh on the patent website where I worked for 18 years and I know there is a ton of resources there that's the work of the Florida Reading Center the um There is also, they've changed the name of that, and it's not coming to me. But um, there are many. The Dyslexia Association also has many. Look for common names of researchers, Mm -hmm. right? Virginia Berninger, Marsha Henry. Look for those names. Their work is what you want to follow. Tim Odegaard, another one, right? So look for the name rather than the topic, Yes, because there are a lot of people that will talk about the topic, but their background is really still in balanced literacy, or the three queuing system, which is the the methodology upon which their writing is. And like you had mentioned, I thought I was doing phonics.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I did. The thing is, I really didn't understand the spelling system. I didn't understand decoding and encoding. I had all kinds of pedagogy. I knew how to have classroom management. I knew how to organize my materials. And my classroom was cute, I'm telling you. (laughs) It was cute and it was darling. But cute, according to Anita Archer, another one you'll want to follow, cute doesn't teach reading. Mm -hmm. So I would give up a little cute to offer a little more time for teaching reading. Awesome. And it all lands in the teacher. You've got to be really good. And knowing what you know, and not only that, why you know it and how you know it. Think of yourself standing in front of an attorney, and the attorney is trying to pick you apart, and you can say, bring it. Mm -hmm. Oh, I so got this. Let me teach you about phonology. Let me teach you why this spelling pattern is the way it is. That's teacher empowerment.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm going to do a hunt for any workshops that I can find that you've done that are available to anybody. And I'll put those in the show notes cool. so people can Wonderful. learn more. And it was really a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: It is my gift. And I, and I really hope that teachers who are listening to this, parents who are listening to this, realize that there is an awful lot to learn to give a little grace to people, a little wiggle room. But when we're in, going in the wrong direction, we need to turn that around and get in alignment with the science of reading. That's our goal as educators and as parents and um, people who love
0: children. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening to this interview with Dr. Wendy Ferrone. You can find the show notes for this episode at themeasuredmom.com forward slash episode 89. Talk to you next week. That's all for this episode of Triple R Teaching.
1: For more educational resources, visit Anna at her home base, TheMeasuredMom.com, and join our teaching community. We look forward to helping you reflect, refine, and recharge on the next episode of Triple R Teaching.